Dylan Jones, I'm telling you what, you have got something here that is going to introduce a new generation of fans to discovering the Velvet Underground because they deserve to continue being played. Even if it's on a streaming outlet, they deserve to continue being around. Cool. Well, that, that, that's, that's high praise indeed. And it's, um, yeah, if, if I can get a new generation involved in convening with the Velvet Underground, that would be a very, very good thing. A band like this, how do you break it down? Because there are so many different levels, which tells me there's walls, there's mountains, there's valleys, but somehow, some way, you've broken this down. Well, the important thing is, I think, is, as you say, to try and tell the whole story. I think it's very easy when you try and, and, and talk about the Velvet Underground just to focus on Lou Reed. And I think that even though Lou Reed is probably the most famous member of, of the group, and he's not necessarily the most most interesting. And also all of the other members have their own light and shade and their own hinterland and their own narrative. How did the other members handle that, that, that Lou was getting a lot of attention? Because it reminds me so much of what happened with the cars. And, and, and you know, you had Rick Ocasek who, who got all the attention and love from fans. Well, I think he comes with the territory. I think that Lou was the more ambitious member. I think he was principally the most important songwriter. And, of course, he was the singer. And if you're the singer, yep. then obviously people gravitate towards you. But the sound of the Velvet Underground, the sensibility, the feel, the concept, that was the result of – that was the – some of its parts rather than just one single person. Speaking of the feel and the concept, I mean, sure, we've had our Rolling Stone magazines and our Cream magazines, but man, the way that you bring in family, friends, and even filmmakers into this storyline, because it takes us into, it's almost like having something that's better than a backstage pass. Well, I think that when you do books like this, and I tend to write oral biographies, and this is my fourth, and it's really important to speak to the people who don't normally get spoken to i think on the one hand you have to speak to the people who um uh who you would be criticized for not including for the people you would expect to see and it's important to include include those and they're often some of the more famous people but equally i think it's as important to feature some of those people who don't usually get quite so much airtime and that might be other professional people like photographers and stylists yeah. and hairdressers and journalists. And it might be lovers and wives and husbands and children and cousins and relations, etc., etc. Because I think you do find that most journalists look at someone's career and they look at precisely that. They look at the career. They look at the work. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people involved in creative endeavors they might spend 10% of their time working and the other 90% they'll spend with their family or traveling or going on holiday or playing basketball or reading, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they interact with a lot of other people in, the, in those endeavors. So for me, it's very important to explore those avenues too. I can't imagine what it was like for you to meet with everybody to because they're sharing their interpretation of their experience with with the Velvet Underground. And it's like, OK, how do you take all of these different stories? They are related, but they're but they're just different versions of it. Well, you're, you're, you're trying to paint a picture. And I think that it's very important to I think it's very exciting, say, interviewing four or five different people about the same 
event and getting four or five different versions. That doesn't complicate things for me because I would say that all of those versions are probably true because people's recollections differ. Hmm. One one of the things that uh, I learned from Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols because yeah I, I because they, they were what, one of the greatest punk bands of all time. I said, Art, "How do you best describe punk?" And he goes, "Arrow, it is the blues." And I'm going, "Oh my god." And that opened up my eyes even with the Velvet Underground because I mean, even though it wore the label of being punk, what was it? Was it the blues? What was it? I think he I mean, there are there are chord structures and um musical systems which are blues based but equally i think one of the reasons that the velvet underground is so particular is because of john cale's classical background mm. plus you had nico's very strange singing style and you had a, a drummer who wasn't a proper drummer so all of these things i think combined to make a kind of noise which really wasn't um heard heard before um, so it was very idiosyncratic, very particular, um, and unlike anything else that was around at the time. So basically, it was several different shapes of individualism that just happened to come together to create harmony. Yeah. And I think under the umbrella of Andy Warhol's factory, it gave him a certain amount of notoriety. Plus, they developed a kind of anti-style, which now has become very influential, but at the, the time was really strange where you had a collection of people who didn't smile for the camera they all wore black they wore sunglasses <laughs> and they weren't particularly engaging or, or engaged and that was very attractive if they had been from any other city in america would it have happened the way that it did no i think it had to be new york in the early 60s yeah, yeah. I don't think it would have worked if it had been in los angeles or chicago or mississippi florida anywhere else yeah, yeah. The, and the fact that, that Andy Warhol had a part of this, because I'm, I'm a huge Warhol fan, and I'm, I think one of the things fascinated me most about him was his love for numbers. Did they ever talk about things like that, Lou Reed and Andy? Because, I mean, Andy loved numbers. I think that the um, they attracted each other because they both knew that they were outsiders but also i think they were attracted to each other professionally because they they each knew that there was a certain amount of um image building yep. done on yep. behalf of both of them yep. that they had to create their own persona in order to be recognized and to be and to uh, attract the right kind of media attention I think one of the, the biggest attractions here that I, I know listeners will really want to dig into is the way that you say demystify Andy Warhol and Lou Reed, because to some people they're going, what, an, an artist and a musician? How, do, how does that even come together? Yeah, I think that the, um, the other thing is, I think that even though um, Lou Reed wasn't a very commercially minded person i think he liked success and i think he enjoyed the way that warhol used um the edge the professional edge um the margins of art and the margins of society to create something that was financially viable uh and i and i think he found that very attractive too don't you think the lyrics of the songs were also extremely attractive? Because it seems like that Lou Reed and the band, they, ju they, ju they weren't fearful of anything during that time period. Well, they, at the time, they wrote about stuff which wasn't in pop music. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, of course, 
all topics are in pop music, but they wrote about drugs, they wrote about transgressive sex, and they wrote about boredom, and they wrote about a lot of things which, which, which weren't the kind of meat and potatoes of your average pop song. Yeah, because one of the things that I've done in, in picking up your book is the fact that I've gone back to look at the lyrics without listening to the song. Because sometimes I think we miss a lot when we when we add all in the, the instruments, and I, I just need to feel the words that are on that page. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you can always tell a great artist by um, uh, um, by the fact that their work stands up out of context. And I think you're right. If you can read those lyrics and those words mm -hmm. almost as poetry yeah. um, separately from listening to them uh, as music or as recorded pieces of music that again gives them another power well it, it's almost like it's a journal as well because I mean they go into deeper darker subjects and sometimes it's like okay so they didn't want to keep a journal but here is this this moment that I'm feeling yeah well I think that uh, again because a lot of that music was stream of consciousness and because a lot of the music was um it was it was driven by experimentation that they were producing the kind of work which hadn't really been made before right and even though you had a lot of people in the 60s who were involved in experimentation i think that the nucleus of the band was such an odd com combination with lou reed's initially folk-driven anarcho songs and John Cale's classically inspired viola playing and and then uh, a very odd chanteuse with a very Germanic lilt and a drummer who couldn't really play the drums. Those are all fantastic elements, and then you put it all together with some great tunes. And Bob's your uncle. You've, you've got a fantastic mad pop group. Yeah, yeah. It, it, when you bring up those names, I mean, they, they're like John Cale and even Lou Reed. I mean, we're all, it, I, I can just see the, the eyes of a listener going, oh my God, you mean there was a life? It's almost like the before life, the life, and the afterlife of the Velvet Underground. You really give people that picture. Well, I'm glad you say that because that was the intention because I think it's easy to read a kind of Wikipedia version of yeah. anyone's life yeah. now. Yeah. And to make it interesting, you have to dig below the surface. How did you find your voice in this then? Because, I mean, how do you make it your own and, and keep it true to you know sharing that story? Because you're right. If I need to find something, I go to Wikipedia and I'm going, oh, okay, okay, okay. But on your pages, you stick to it. Well, there are certain times in the story where I put myself into it, but only if I think I've got something relevant to say. Uh, and I think that it's always interesting for a bio bi biographer to write about the time when they first became interested in a particular artist and whether or not it was uh, David Bowie yeah. or the Velvet Underground or Jim Morrison or whoever, I think that time when you first become interested in someone is often the same time, the same age that lots of other people do. So I think it's a that's a valid piece of um, personal exploration yeah yeah oh just to have the opportunity to make this exploration even happen and then to put it on a page and and now dude dylan it, it belongs to us the readers 
Well, it does, and I, and I sincerely hope you enjoy reading it. Yeah. Now, in order to do this, though, I mean, how do you get into the making the contacts with the family and friends? Do you just say, hey, I'm Dylan Jones. Uh, I, I'm going to write this book about the Velvet Underground. Can we sit down and have a conversation? Can we go, can we go have a cup of tea? Well, it's the, the first approach is obviously very important because you have to um, prove or, or try and convince the person that you are coming from a good place. Um, and lots of these people have been interviewed before. Yeah. Um, lots of these people have never been interviewed before. So they have, they have their, their strengths and weaknesses. It was interesting when I did my book on Bowie because that was, I embarked upon the book literally two weeks after he died. And that first approach is very important because you do have to convince people that you're not an ambulance chaser. I mean, hopefully you have a little bit of legacy and some people might have heard of you and they might, you know, and they might appreciate that you're coming from a good place. But it, that first contact is very, very important. It's, you know, you, you talk about that, that period of music and that contact. It's, it's like, here's this moment in history that has that time has forgotten about. But then when you have a book like Loaded, The Life and Afterlife of the Velvet Underground, all of a sudden that past is now our present. But you design it in a way to where the scent of that era is still there. Well, I, I'm, I, I'm glad you say that because the important thing is, is to read the book and get a real sense of what it was like at the time. Yeah. That's the important thing. See, this is the kind of book that I wish I had when I first got into radio. We, were, we all, always had the Joel Whitburn book and the little paragraphs. But it's books like this where that jock on the radio, when they're going into a Velvet Underground song, it's like you, I, I'm now taking something to that listener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all the stories are in there. <laughs> what did you learn from this project as a writer and as a journalist? I think the, the one of the things I learned is that the whole Lou Reed thing is 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 it's not an act, but it's an exaggeration. And I think that a lot of famous people exaggerate their their persona in order to have um, a persona that's that's easily recognised and easily written about. And um, um, so it was interesting to. But to meet so many people who had had the Lou Reed experience, but after a while it became a cliche because he did it so often. We've become this generation that is addicted to YouTube, Netflix, and Hulu. We want to get a documentary of somebody, and it, and it never really dives deep into the story like you've done here. Did you use that as an example? It's like, look, I know what they did on this particular documentary. I need to go here and make it real. Um, I think you do that when you're talking to people. Because sometimes you want people to tell you the stories they've told a million times because they're important stories um, and because they were there. But you, but often you want them to, you want to go deeper. You want to take them on a journey somewhere else where they're talking about things that, but, uh, that are perhaps out of their comfort zone or you're asking them questions that they haven't been asked before. Yeah. And that's really, really important. Man, just the fact that you had those conversations. I'm addicted to pitch, volume, and tone, inflection. And to for, did, you, did you record them? Will we one day get to hear them share the story? Yeah, I recorded most of the interviews and uh, we're talking about the possibility of, of doing something more long form in an audio um, uh, platform. Yeah. What's next for you, Dylan? Because like you said, you brought up the Bowie book. That was the last time that you and I shared a conversation. So what? You, you're not done. 
Uh, well, I've got some other projects on the go, but um, I, um, this Velvet Underground book has proved to be very popular in the US and it's been reviewed very well. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing more promotion for this book than I have done for a while. So that's very that's that's very gratifying. Did you get the opportunity to talk to any Velvet Underground, you know, like uh, copy bands? No, I didn't. Um, um, but there are a lot of them out there. And um, a lot of them are masquerading as real pop groups. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because right now, I don't know if you know this or not, but there, there's a punk rock movement happening right now in Utah as well as California. I mean, it's really got a resurgence. And I would love to sit down and talk with those guys to find out how much the Velvet Underground played in their role. Well, that's really interesting. That's re well, you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but see, it's, but it comes from the inspiration of people like yourself who unveil the history first. Now I know the story and to go ask the right things. Well, I, I'm glad to have been of service, seriously. Well, you've got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. No, you're very kind. You're very, very kind. And thank you for taking so much interest in the book as well. Well, you be brilliant today, okay? And you, take, take good care.